day is from the book of Revelation, chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. A great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs, in the agony of giving birth. Then another portent appeared in heaven, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, so that there she can be nourished for 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let us pray. Holy Wisdom, you came forth from the mouth of the Most High. You reach mightily from one end of the earth to the other and order all things well. Come, we pray, and teach us the way of insight. Teach us the way of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be asking yourself, what does this psychedelic trip through the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation have to do with Advent or Christmas or anything at all, really? You may have even found yourself sitting in your pew saying, looking around and saying, oh no, I'm in one of those churches. <laughs> but fear not, this passage has been read to you this morning with a purpose, with a reason in mind. Several good reasons, actually. In many ways, this is the perfect scripture passage to kick off this, the season 
of Advent. And let me explain. First, this passage is perfect because it's apocalyptic. To which you might say, duh. But this tradition in the Christian calendar is that the Advent season always begins with an apocalyptic text from one of the Gospels. Note the songs we began the service with, like, Lo, he comes with clouds descending, and these are the days of Elijah. They're both very much apocalyptic songs. And if you were here a few weeks ago, you'll have heard Reverend Trevor Malkinson's excellent sermon on the meaning of apocalyptic literature in the Bible. Contrary to popular opinion or belief, though, the apocalypse is intended to be good news. Often we hear stories like this and we tend to think of spooky things. Mayan calendar, (laughs) nuclear holocaust type stuff. But has he reminded us the word apocalypse Means, simply means unveiling. Apocalyptic texts hold back the veil on reality to get underneath things. They try to get at what's happening in the world beyond what we can see and touch. And they do it using vivid, symbolic language and images. Not just straightforward visions or dreams, although it is a vision but more like an impressionistic painting. They expose the hidden forces and powers of evil, yes, but more importantly, they raise up God's unseen activity, holding to the conviction that good will ultimately win out in the end, even if the present circumstances seem to suggest otherwise. So that's why this apocalyptic text was chosen for the Sunday. Advent always begins with the apocalypse. Because the birth of Jesus is an apocalyptic event. Advent is about God breaking in, about hope being unveiled in the middle of a world that seems to be without it. A hopeful sign of things larger to come, of larger things to come. Now, The second reason why this text was chosen flows from the first. This Advent series is titled, There's Something About Mary. And I hope that all you children of the 80s and 90s got that reference, but starting to feel old now. (laughs) But this is really the only apocalyptic text in the Bible that has Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the spotlight as its star player. Here a great vision appears in the heavens, one of this cosmic woman. I love that image there. This cosmic woman. She's clothed in the sun. She's standing on the moon, and on her head is a crown of 12 stars. She's pregnant, too. She's pregnant and crying out in labor pains, and she's about to give birth. But as she's about to give birth, another vision appears in the heavens, sort of alongside it. I mean, you can sort of imagine yourself looking up into the stars, into the sky. 
But this time, it's a dragon. It's a great red one. Seven heads, like I can't even, you know, seven heads. Ten horns, seven crowns. This image tries to do that justice. I don't know if you can quite do that image justice. And the dragon takes its tail and it swats down one-third of the stars from the sky. Then it stands before the woman, ready to devour her child as soon as it leaves her body. And then the baby is born, it says. A male child, one born to rule the nations with a rod of iron. But before the dragon can feast, the baby is snatched away, taken to God's heavenly throne. And meanwhile, the woman flees into the wilderness while she'll be nourished and hidden for 40 months. And the baby is saved while the woman flees to safety. And just when you thought things couldn't get any weirder, suddenly a war breaks out in the transcendent realm. Michael, who is the leader of God's angel armies, assaults the dragon. The dragon and its minions fight back, but it's no use. They're defeated, they're expelled from heaven, and they're thrown down to earth for good. Now, if you feel confused, that's okay. Because like I said earlier, apocalyptic stories like this one are highly symbolic. They're artistically drawn. They're poetic. They have layers of meaning. They're not meant to be read in a straightforward or literal way. So that's why you're confused. So what's going on here? What's going on in this strange vision? There are multiple layers of meaning. The woman's crown of 12 stars symbolizes three things. First, 12 stars for the 12 tribes of Israel, God's people. Second, 12 stars also for the original 12 apostles, the followers of Jesus, the church. And the third meaning of the 12 stars is that they're the 12 signs of the zodiac. You see, ancient people believed you could understand present events and even the outcome of future events by observing the stars. This should make those of us who are horoscope watchers quite happy. Finally, something included. I'm a Leo, by the way. I don't know what that means. You're like, a Leo would say that. Anyway. Put all of these things, three things together, Israel, the church, the stars of heaven, and we're talking about destiny. There's the destiny for God's people, the people chosen, called by God to bear witness to God's love and God's way for the world. And then there are the stars of heaven, meaning the destiny of creation. The destiny for God's people on one hand and the destiny of creation on the other. Both of these are coming together in the single figure of this woman. And this woman's giving birth, meaning that she not only carries the destiny of creation on her head, she's carrying the destiny of creation inside her womb. 
the baby in her stomach, it says, will rule the nations with a rod of iron, which is to say he'll bring about God's reign of peace on earth as it is in heaven. She carries in her and gives birth to the hope for all creation. And so if you have any knowledge of the Christmas story at this point, you'll probably have guessed who the woman is meant to be. At one level, this woman is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the child she gives birth to is Jesus. But the meaning of the apocalyptic vision is that the destiny of all the people of God, the destiny of the church, all humanity, and the universe are all at stake in Mary's life. The universe is at stake in the birth of Mary's child. And when we think of Mary in the birth of Jesus, it tends to conjure these cute manger scenes and dusty Palestinian landscapes. But this apocalyptic vision places Mary center stage in this cosmic conflict between good and evil. It's all rotating. The universe is rotating around this small act, this one life, this single baby being born. And it's a single woman and the single baby who are being chased down by evil. The dragon has multiple meanings in the same way as Mary, by the way. There's the Old Testament of force, forces of chaos who attempt to spoil God's good creation. There's the Roman Empire with its horns and crowns symbolizing the nations of the world underneath, dom underneath domination and control. And of course, underneath it all is the serpent, Satan, the adversary. The dragon is, in the words of one scholar, the concrete embodiment of evil power. It's a power that works through nations, it works through peoples, it works through individuals, trying to crush the hope promised by this child. But the dragon is, in the end, defeated and thrown down, foiled by the angels. In the end, he can't keep God's plan from coming to fruition. In our scripture, this is all happening on the heavenly plane, behind the scenes. It's this huge cosmic showdown, and it all hinges on this one person. It all hinges on Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, this unwed teenage mother. Mary, this unexceptional woman from the middle of nowhere. Mary, not important, nor a success by our standards, the standards of the world. And so this is why the image of Mary on your bulletin and the screen features the dragon underneath Mary's feet. In fact, if you pay attention, if you ever see a Catholic statue of Mary, you might notice the dragon underneath her feet too. Because this is the person God uses to invade the world, 
in Christ and overthrow the powers of sin and death. The destiny of the world hangs on her and her little baby boy. So at this point, you might even say that there's not only something about Mary, there's really something about Mary. But the real something is just how small the act is, how ordinary the life is that makes this all possible. This is what's happening in the Christmas story, in the invisible reality behind the scenes. This passage really sets the stage for the rest of our sermon series on Mary. Because this apocalyptic vision means that behind the veil of this ordinary life, the forces of evil that inhabit the world will finally be defeated and thrown down for good. Of course, we in the modern scientific 21st century have trouble imagining the world like this. I mean, we don't have to take it literally, we don't have to take it to the furthest end. But this gives us a vision of a world imbued with hidden meaning, struggles between powers of good and evil, where human life actually matters in the grand scheme. Our vision of human life has become flattened. It's become two-dimensional. It's become dull and boring, really. It's become without meaning. What we literally see, what we can touch, investigate, dissect, life on the surface is all there is. Which, in the end, means that little lives like Mary's, little lives like yours and mine, don't really matter much. Not in the grand scheme of things, anyway. But considering the state of the world, we can't really afford to think this way, can we? Considering the political climate that we live in, the literal climate, the epidemic of loneliness, meaningless, addiction, depression, and a multitude of other inflictions, afflictions that touch our culture, our society, and our world, we're usually struck somewhere between despair and powerlessness. But the Christmas story suggests a different way of seeing and experiencing our world. Mary's ordinary life is weaved together with eternity. It's where a simple act of giving birth, in the simple act of giving birth, the future of all creation hangs in the balance. It's a world where life is a living stage for the struggle between good and evil. The individual life is too. And so if this is true, it means that our own lives do in fact matter. 
if we see them in the light of Christ. Every moment, every act of love, every act of justice, every act of mercy, every act matters. Not because we're supremely important as individuals, but because our relatively unimportant lives can become important simply by becoming part of a story much larger than we are. This larger moment, this hidden flow of history. And if this is true, maybe giving birth to, raising, loving, and caring for a single child or several children is one generation closer to healing for all families. If so, maybe a single act of forgiveness will not only transform one life, but by God's grace it can become one step closer towards throwing down both transgression and revenge permanently. And if so, Maybe there's more than meets the eye to one little church like ours. A church that welcomes, feeds, and proclaims Christ's love to the loveless ones. Maybe it means that this gang of relative nobodies, no offense, you should actually know if I ever call you a nobody, that's like theologically for me, that's a compliment. God can use nobodies. That's the whole thing. I'm a nobody too. But if God can use nobodies like us, maybe it's part of God inching one toe closer to crushing underfoot that which ails the human spirit and our beloved creation. If so, if these are true. If we can see Christmas apocalyptically, maybe we can start seeing our lives apocalyptically too. And if we see our lives like this, then we'll not only reclaim the idea that there's more to life than what we can see, it means that we can start living our lives like Mary lived hers simple as they are, ordinary as they are, they matter. They're where God's eternal purposes are being carried out in a thousand small, wondrous and beautiful ways. And that in and through us, pregnant with God's spirit, the universe will eventually come to full term giving birth to the future we all long for. If we can see our lives like this. So, this Advent, I pray that each of us begins to see our lives apocalyptically as ones lived at the crossroads of eternity 
where every moment, every minute, every breath is filled with the love of God. May you be clothed in the undying light of Christ with a crown of destiny placed upon your head. May the King of Heaven be born in the middle of your rather ordinary, mundane life. And may you, like Mary, find each step you take in your home, at work, or in the street. May you find the adversary crushed underfoot. May it be so. In the baby's name. Amen.